Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the blood apply. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood that was shed, for your broken body that was given. We thank you and praise you, Lord, because you are worthy. Our worship, let it be acceptable in your sight today. Let you be glorified through your son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we worship you today. Father, I pray that you open up our hearts to receive what we have seemed to have forgotten that's in this chapter here today. Lord, call us back home. Rekindle the fire within our heart. And help us to change the world through doing your will on this earth. Lord, today, we want to hear what the Holy Spirit says to us, each and every one, individually. What you have to say to us. And how we can live a, a more godly life in you. And how we can be sure that we are saved. So today, Lord, speak to us all. Open up our hearts, Lord, that, that they may even weep over our sin. We may weep over our sins and even be driven to this altar to bow our knee down before you, to confess our sins and to renew our commitment and to follow after you, not after this world, but after you, after your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Today, you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Everybody that just came in on live stream, we're going to tell you this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here today. You can go on to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, and watch any of our messages, find out about us. You can even donate online if the Lord would lead you. Um, if you... Here's the, here's the streaming address, freedomchurchpb.org slash live dash stream that's freedomchurchpb.org slash live dot dash stream okay and you can check up our messages and uh, you can tune in thursday night at 7 15 also sunday morning at 10 a.m for our live broadcast and you can go on the website and find anything out or different messages over the years if you need to contact me you know, if you receive Christ as your Savior or the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I would certainly love to hear from you. You can email me at joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Just add joe at before our website, freedomchurchpb.org. So thank you again. Thank you, um, Matt and Lewis and Clarissa, for the beautiful uh, word of God and the beautiful worship that we've had today. Um, you know that we've been doing expositional studies through the book of Matthew on Sunday, and we're in chapter 7 today. On Thursday nights, for those of you who want to tune in or come in, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida, just a half a mile west of I-95. You can stop in on Thursday night at 7.15 or Sunday morning at 10 a.m. if you're local, and we'd be glad to have you. Today, like I said, we're doing 
Um, Max Positional Studies on Sunday through the Book of Matthew, and on Thursday nights we're doing it through the Book of Genesis, and we'll be in Chapter 44 this, 30, this Thursday night. But today's message, get your Bibles out, turn to Matthew Chapter 7, and we're going to be in the first 14 verses of this, bi- of this chapter tonight. We're not going to get through the whole chapter. Um, Because there's a lot, a lot of deep stuff in here that a lot of people just read right through. And uh, we want to study it. You know, the Word of God says, Paul told Timothy to study the Word of God and show yourself approved as a workman who needs not be ashamed, but to handle accurately the Word of truth. And that's what we want to do here today. And the title of this message is, Are You Sure You're a Christian? You know, we need to check ourselves once in a while. Examine ourselves, test ourselves to see if we are a Christian. Because sometimes as the years go by, we seem to slip back. We should be plowing forward. So, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to tell you, 40-some years ago, my pastor caught me memorizing this chapter. And he said, hey... How about you memorizing some more verses? So he gave me a navigator's course on Bible memorization. And because I was so hungry for the Word of God that the Holy Spirit put in me, you know, I grabbed these verses and took them. And I'll tell you what, all those verses sure helped me out over the years of my walk with the Lord. Matthew chapter 7 is one of them. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 7, and this is the New American Standard Version. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in what way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, a log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. They will turn and trample you to pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give, who is in heaven give his good gifts to those who ask him in everything there is treat people the same as you want to be treated for this is the law and the prophets enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it It's a powerful chapter, and it's not going to be an easy one for a lot of people, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ. Are you sure 
you are a Christian. The first verse and the second verse really do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in what way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured unto you. You know, a lot of people think that God's saying, don't judge. And he's really not saying that here. He is saying, you know, the, the, no, he, say, he is not saying prohibit judgment. He is saying there is a time to judge. There is a time to judge, and I'll show you scriptures in the past and as we move along how Paul was judging people within the church. Jesus is not prohibiting judgment. There is a time to judge. The Greek word is krino for judgment. To judge, to judge to the place of condemnation. In other words, don't judge to the place of condemning somebody. You know, we know from Scripture that the world is already condemned. So if you're not a believer, you're already condemned. You don't have to tell them that. They are. He is showing us how to judge. The Lord is showing us how to judge. He tells us to refrain from hypocritical judgment. You know, he talked about the speck in your brother's eye. You're looking at the speck in the other brother's eye. You have a, a log or a telephone pole coming out of this eye, and you're supposed to take the speck out of his eye. You can't even see clearly. Verse 5, Jesus says this, You hypocrite! First take the, the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The verb tense here is present imperative, which means do not make a practice of it. We should refrain from, from judgment, but there are, are times when you have to call, have a judgment call. God tells us in this verse that he's the ultimate judge because you might be judging your brother, but God's going to judge you. In other words, he's telling us to judge accurately because you do not know the inner motives of a person. And plus, you have a telephone pole in your own eye. Be careful. Here's Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. He says this, There is a time to judge. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? They've already been judged and condemned until they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do not judge outsiders. Do not judge those who are within the church. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from you. He's making a judgment call here. He's telling, he's telling the Corinthian church to remove that sinful man. And we know from Scripture, to save his soul. Actually, Paul in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, Paul instructs the early church to mark the man who has been causing divisions. To mark him. A judgment is being made on him because of divisions and dissensions that he's planting within the church. Galatians 1.8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul is judging. He's being careful when he judges, though. You just can't go around judging. You're to refrain from judgment. You don't know your heart. Jesus judged men. 
he said, but he always said something like this, I know the heart of men, or he knew the heart of men. You do not know the heart of that individual, so do not judge hypocritically. We can't judge their inward motives. God sees sees everything, and we're, we're only one-sided. We only see this one picture. We have no idea what's going on in their heart. For what, in what way you judge, you will be judged, verse 2. You know what? The world would say it this that way. What goes around comes around. Or what you sow is what you reap. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? You're looking at, you're, you're making a judgment against another believer, but you can't see clearly enough. Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, a log is in your own eye? It's you that's blind, is what the Lord's saying. You're blind. He has a speck in his eye. It bothers him a little, but you, you, you can hardly see out of this eye. Here's the solution in verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, so you can see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, you're the one that needs to repent first. Then you'll see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Get rid of your judgmental attitude because you're not seeing clearly with that pole or log or telephone pole in your own eye. You know what it's really? Your, your sin, the sins that you do, look very bad on Bill over here, but you're okay with it. Huh. Bill, Bill's doing the same thing you're doing, but you don't like what he does. It looks bad on him, but not me. Let me read. I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verses 1 through 9, and you know this passage. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and, and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, and one rich and one poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man only had one little ewe lamb, which he brought up and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of the bread and drink of the cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. He's making a judgment here. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely this man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because of the thing he did and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. See, David's making a judgment call on, on this man that Nathan gives him a story at. He's making a judgment call, and he, he can't see clearly enough because that's him. It's him. And Nathan's going to tell him. Thus says the Lord of Israel, It is you 
who anointed, who I anointed king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you, you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have added to you many more things. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing this evil? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of Ammon. David's making a judgment call on this man that killed his neighbor's ewe lamb that grew up with him when he had plenty of lambs. And David makes a judgment call, which is not in the Mosaic law. He says, this guy needs to die. He's making a judgment call without seeing the facts because he, he doesn't see himself as having a log in his eye. But that man that Nathan was telling him about, that sin looked pretty bad on him, but not David. Not David. And David judges harshly. David has no pity. You can see the no pity is still there. He didn't have any pity on, on taking, you know, Uriah, uh, Uriah's wife. He had no, no pity on, on, on getting her pregnant. He had no pity at all. Even though the law, the Mosaic law says, it doesn't say you must kill that person, but David, he made a really bad call. Below or Below in verse 6 is a judgment you must make in verse 6 of this chapter. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and they will turn and tear you to pieces. What are your pearls? You know, some of the pearls that you have is the very words of God. If you take those words of God and you go to a house and, and they're antagonistic against you, the Lord is telling you to shake off the dust and move on. Don't waste your time. You know why? Because Satan wants to, to sidetrack you from hitting, you know, going to other people that are open. But God wants you to be effective. So you have to be effective and not be sidetracked by the devil. Some of these people are antagonistic to the gospel and they want nothing to do with it. I've been on many missions trips over the years. And I've been knocking on doors here in Palm Beach County and different doors all over the, even in Pennsylvania, knocking on doors. And usually they see you with a Bible in your hand, they close the door or shut the door in your face. But you know what? If you go to Brazil or Guatemala or Finland and other countries I've been to, Jamaica, uh, you know, they, you, you go to their, their door with a Bible, they'll let you in and give you a cup of coffee. What happened to the American church today? What has happened? Don't give what's holy to the dog. Shake off the dust. Move on because the devil's going to try to sidetrack you to make you ineffective. You know, God has other people he can send to that door. You know that, right? God doesn't need you. You know what? You planted a word just by them seeing you with a Bible at the front door. You know, their thoughts turn to God. That's enough. That's a seed planted. Maybe you're lucky enough to share a scripture verse, and that's fine. Ask yourself, 
Is this person open? Is this person sensitive? Is this person hungering for the Word of God? Then you stay with them and plant more seeds and try to bring them to the knowledge of Christ. You're wasting your time, he's telling you, by casting your pearls before swine that don't care. It's a dog that will eat you up. And turn tear, you tear you to pieces, the dogs will. That's what they want to do, tear your Christianity to pieces. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, The things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Don't waste your time on the antagonistic, those that don't want to hear. Plant the seed and move on. Because the devil will try to tie you up and make you ineffective. Verses 7 and 8. And it shall, and ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Here the Lord is telling you, seek, ask, and knock. And you've all know this verses if you've been in church for a while. Seek, ask, and knock. Now the Greek verb tense, let me, Here's, here's a chart of the Greek verb, verb tense. There are actually 12 of them, 12 verb tenses in Greek. This is present perfect tense, and which means continual action. So here's what that verse, should, this Bible should read, is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, don't give up. I'll turn you to Luke chapter 18. Now what you're seeing in this chapter, I'm backing up with Scripture. Because I always say, and you know my little motto, you interpret Scripture by Scripture, not by what this person said or that person said or what the government of the U.S. says. Chapter 18, New American Standard again, verses 1 through 8. Now he was telling a parable to show that all times, that's Jesus, that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. All times. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't lose heart. In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in the city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God and nor respect men, yet because the widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming to me, she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for this elect who cries to him day and night? And will not delay long over him? I tell you the I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This woman wasn't letting up. This this judge he didn't fear God, he didn't care about man, he was a selfish man. But this widow kept coming to him day and night for legal protection. 
And finally, he got so tired of it, he didn't want to hear it anymore. He gave her what she requested. And I think that's what God, not that you can, you know, you, you can keep on going to God. So you have uh, a sore, let's see, so you have some kind of a disease. You keep on going to God. Ask him. You ask, you seek, you knock. Continually. Keep on. That's what this lady did, and it paid off. She was persistent. That's how we ought to pray. That's what the Lord is telling us. That's how you ought to pray. Keep on bringing it before my throne. Finally, God will answer. But actually, the next verse actually tells you that, that everyone who asks receives. He didn't say some of you receive. He didn't say exactly when you'll receive. But he said you will receive. Keep on asking. Of course, you've you got to make sure that it's in context with the Word of God because God isn't going to do something that He already wrote against. You've got to be persistent. That's what this, this passage of this parable is telling us. Be persistent and be expectant. That means faith. And you know, Jesus said, have faith in God. If any of you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you prayed will happen, then God will grant it to you. Be persistent. Be expectant in your faith. And God will cultivate as you, as you seek God, as you keep asking and seeking and knocking. You're cultivating a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it will be vital in the last days, in the days that are going to come. It's going to be vital. We can see them starting up right now in, in our lifetime, how things are changing. It's going to be vital to our walk, our relationship with the Lord. Four things a per, per, persist, persistence will accomplish. Number one, it will nullify your lukewarmness. Didn't Jesus say, you know, I prefer that you would be, if you were hot or cold, I would prefer you be lukewarm. I mean, if I would prefer that you be hot or cold, because if you're lukewarm, I'll just spit you out of my mouth. Well, by continually seeking God, you are nullifying your lukewarmness. In other words, you're letting up. You're not letting up. You're persistent. Number two, it will reveal wrong motives. If you're praying and asking and seeking and knocking, but you have a wrong motive, as you keep on doing that, you, the Holy Spirit will begin to convict you. Or when you're reading in the Word of God, you're going to find out that doesn't line up with Scripture. And I'll tell you what. You can pray that till you're blue in the face and God will never answer it because it's out and it's a wrong motive. So it nullifies lukewarmness. It reveals wrong motives and it creates a burden within you. You can, have a, you can be praying for your mother who has some kind of sickness, but it creates a burden for mom. You're going to pray for her every day. Every time you think of her, you're going to pray for mom. It creates a burden by keep on Asking, seeking, and knocking. And number four, it keeps you dependent on God. As we pray the prayer of persistence, we will be kept dependent on God. And that's what God wants us to be. He says, trust in me with your whole heart. Don't lean in your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So the prayer of persistence will accomplish, nullify lukewarmness, it will reveal wrong motives, it will create 
a burden in your heart, it will keep you dependent on God. Perseverance is a keynote to success, by the way. Successful people like, take Vince Lombardi, for example. He said, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. Somebody tells you God isn't going to heal your mother of cancer, you can say, I'm not surrendering. I'm not surrendering. Because the more you fight, the harder you fight, the more the victory comes. Here's an anonymous quote. When things go wrong, when the road you're trudging seems uphill, when, you, you're, when care is pressing down a bit, rest if you must, but do not quit. Sounds like Winston Churchill, but I don't think it is. Open the goal. How often the goal is nearer than where it seems. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the win winner's cup. We're told in 2 Timothy, again, Paul, what a powerful chapter. Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. He's, we're, we're to train like an athlete. You know, you, the, the Olympics just went, was over in the last month, I believe it was, or maybe two months ago. And those athletes, when they practice, they're running just as fast as if they were in the race. And when that comes to the race, they run harder than they ever did before, and they can break all kind of records because they're pushing themselves beyond their limits. That's what the Army did for me. And anyone that's been in the Army, Air Force, Navy, or Marines, I'll tell you what, you had to push yourself to the maximum limit. You thought you were going to die because you ran 5 or 10 miles. You push yourself to the limit. I know I did. I tried to stay in the middle of the group because there's those guys that are fast, there's guys that are slow. And I tried to stay in the middle so I wouldn't be noticed, but I had to push myself to stay in the middle. That's what God's saying. Push yourself. Don't quit. Never quit. Or what man is there among you, verse 9, who when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what is good to those who ask him? You know, in this church, a lot of times, especially when my wife's up here directing the music, she'll say, God is good. That's what, God's, that's what Jesus is saying here. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Don't we? Isn't that true? Say that with me. God is good, and all the time, God is good. So why did God give you cancer? He didn't give you cancer. You know who gave you cancer? Our sin. It's the result of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. God had a perfect world. The lion laid with the lamb, and the child played by the cobra's den, and that will happen again someday. Isaiah 11 tells you that. God created a perfect world. It wasn't until we sinned that thorns and thistles grew up and God put the Adam and Eve out of the garden and then everything started changing. Some animals that weren't ferocious or carnivorous, now they're carnivorous and predators. God's good. 
Jesus is telling you God is good. He says every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And I know that wasn't Jesus that quoted that, but it was Jesus who had that written in this book because he is the Word of God. Jesus said so. God is good. Let's not forget that. Everybody blames a hurricane or a, or a tornado on God. It's an act of God. It isn't an act of God. It's a result of our sin in the Garden of Eden. And we blame God. God is good, Jesus is telling you. Note for you, that if our lesser character will lead us to bless our children, how much more would God's greater character lead us and bless us. You know, I know me, myself, if my son asked me for a, for a loaf of bread, I, I wouldn't give him a serpent. If he asked for a fish, I'm not going to give him that serpent. Or if he asked for a loaf of bread, I'm not giving him a stone. I'm going to try to give him what he asked for. As long as it's appropriate. Luke says it this way in Luke eleven thirteen. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit. So that you can know God is good. He is good. Don't blame God on God did this. I, I know a Christian guy and I know uh, his son, he wrote a book. It's, it was entire. Here's the title: "The Day God Gave Me Cancer." I just totally disagree with that. I'm sorry, it doesn't line up with Scripture. I'm going to go by the Scripture. God didn't give him cancer. It's a result of our fall in the garden, and curses fell on the ground. God never cursed Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground and he cursed the serpent. But we received consequences for that sin, for our fall. And here's the golden rule of all Scripture, the next verse, which is well known by even probably heathens that don't even know God. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When you see therefore, you heard the preacher say, what's it there for? Okay? What's it there for? God is giving us a principle here by which we should operate. We should operate by his principle, which is, if I want to be treated good, then I should treat others good. And notice that it is you that is to do the initiation, not wait for the person to come to you. You are to go to them. You are to initiate it. Whatever you want men to do for you, you do also to them. You're the initiator here. And then it says, for well, this is the law and the prophets. Well, you know, I've read that many times. I'm thinking, like, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you, turn to Romans chapter 13. And verses, Romans 13, I'm in Corinthians, sorry. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to everyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there 
is any other worthy other commandment, it is summed up in this. This is the sum of the Law and the Prophets. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong in a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law or the Mosaic law. Love. Love your brother. So you could probably change that around. Whatever you want men to do for you, loving them, then they'll love you back. And if they don't, well, you still are under the command of God. The law and the prophet is to love everyone. Owe nothing but to, but to love. We're to treat others well. Now, the next verse is all the way to the 29th verse from, the, from this verse 13, but we're only going to capture the, the uh, 13th and 14th verse, and there is a lot in that. And it may be very convicting, but so what? You're a Christian. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, only conviction. And that's the Holy Spirit working. In these next verses, we're not going to tackle the whole problem, the whole chapter again. I'm going to, there's six, there's six twosomes in the next passages that go on to the end of chapter 7. Six twosomes. I'm going to show them to you real quickly, but I'm only going to concentrate on the first one. There's two ways. There's two types of trees. There's two types of fruit. There's two types of people. There's two types of builders. And there's two types of foundations. But we're only going to cover the first one. Two ways. What are the two ways? Here's what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So we see a wide way here. Proverbs 14.2 says this, There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. See, man thinks he's right. Man thinks there's a whole bunch of ways to heaven. That isn't what the scriptures say. That isn't what Jesus himself said. That isn't what the apostles say, who all died a martyr's death. Except for John, who was boiled in oil and should have died. It's a miracle he survived it. It was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. The Lord was with him. And he was exiled to Patmos where he wrote Revelation, which was God needed that told to us before the last apostle left. There's a way which seems right to every man, but the end thereof is death. You think you're going to heaven because you have good works. Sorry, don't cut it. By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. No prophecy of Scripture was ever written by an act of human will, but men led by the Holy Spirit wrote from God. It's God's Word. God says it. We know that Hebrews tells us, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. There's a lot of people out there who don't even believe in God, and you're trying to lead them to Jesus. First of all, they've got to believe in God. Believe there is a God. Whether, whether they think it's a stone out there or a crystal or, or whatever, they've got to believe there is a God. Then your accurate teaching uh, to them will, will 
caused them to go come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You have to have faith. John 3, 18 and 19. Let me read it to you from the scriptures. John 3, 18 and 19. He who believes in him is not judged. That's talking about a believer there. He who does not believe has been judged already. Didn't I say that earlier? Why judge the world out there? Because they've already been judged by God. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten God. That's the reason. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. God is telling you right, right here, you have to believe. And what is it that you're supposed to believe? Go back to the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that God gave, him, gave us his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's a wide way, but Jesus and the scriptures are telling us you have to go the narrow way, not the wide way. Many enter by the wide, enter the enter hellfire the wide way. Few of us find the Lord. So if you find the Lord and you know him truthfully in your heart today, it's a reason to praise God because eternity in the wrong place is a long time. Unfortunately, though, Many find that way. The narrow way. You know what the narrow way is. Here's what Jesus said. I am the way. Then he comes out, I am the truth. So he's telling you, I'm not lying what I say here. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And then he goes on and says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. The scriptures are clear. Jesus said it himself. If he didn't rise from the dead, I'd say it was hearsay. But he did rise from the dead. It's documented proof of it. And plus, you have to exercise your faith to believe. Jesus is telling you the truth. And notice here, now let's move on to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, which the apostles write. This is John Mark writes this. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. There's no other name under heaven. Remember I said you interpret Scripture by Scripture? Well, Scripture very well interprets that there's only one way to heaven. Romans chapter um, 10. You know it. I'm going to read the 13th verse first. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. That's God. Well, go back to the ninth and 10th verse, and we'll be identifying who God is. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with his mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So even though 
Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You go to who is the Lord? Well, Paul or Paul's telling the Romans that Jesus Christ is the Lord. There is no other. Then we go to Timothy, 2 Timothy 5 and 6. For there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for us. There's one mediator. And as, as you want to even go further, Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 8, 24, he says this, Unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe I am, you'll die in my sin. Well, what do you mean, I am? Well, go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is bowing and has his sandals off before the burning bush, and the, the burning bush, the Lord in the burning bush tells him what to do, and go to, to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And when he said, he said, okay, well, well who should I say send me? And God spoke from the burning book, I, tell him I am, has sent you the very word of God. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, when Jesus said, I'm the bread, the love life, when he said, I am the living water, when he said that he is the resurrection and the life, when he says he is the door, he is saying, I am the door. And I told you many times, if you've been under my teaching, ego, me in Greek. Ego means I, me means I am. So Jesus is saying, I, I am. The way. In other words, it's emphatic. He's driving it home. Yet the world says he isn't God. Well, I have a news for them. There is a God because there's no other way under heaven. So I asked the world, are you sure? Even the Christians here today, are you sure you're a Christian? Because we're going to get into some deeper stuff now. Not only is the gate narrow, but also the path is narrow. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. He said, I am the door. I, I am the door. There's a narrow way, but the path is also narrow, leading to the door. You ever read Pilgrim's Progress by um, John Bunyan, is it? John Bunyan. You know, Christian, he gets saved. He comes to this path, and there's a Y. He sees this big, broad path. And there's a whole bunch of people going there, and the celestial city's up there. But over here, he looks at this narrow path, and it's full of thorns and, and thistles, and it's narrow. And he looks up ahead, and there's a lion up there, and he's saying, I'm going that way. I'm going that way. It's the easiest way to get to the celestial city. But he didn't know that the path was narrow, and he didn't know that those lions up there were chained back so that they couldn't get him as he walked the narrow path. You know, sometimes, and I've done it many times myself, we lead people to Christ with a prayer, and then they think they're saved. They think they're saved because they said a prayer. You know, some pastor, even myself, you know, said, you know, pray after me, and they pray after me. They had no heart, and it. it was all just blah, 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 blah. And Jesus told, you know, the Word of God says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, you know what? That's the 21st century today, Christian. We lead Christians to Christ with that prayer, and we think they're saved. And meanwhile, they had no heart, and therefore their, their life is not changed. 
if, their life, if they prayed that prayer with all their heart, their life will be changed. Listen, if you walked out the door today and got hit by a Mack truck out there on High Paluxo Road, you would be a different person. You would be look different, completely different. If any of you say you met God and you haven't changed and look different and act different and do things different, you're telling a fib to me. Because if you get hit with the almighty power of God, you will be changed. There's no doubt about it. You know, Matthew, later on in Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Many will come to me in that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many wonders in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. They think they're saying, are you really a Christian? When you got saved, did, you, did your life change? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, Paul tells the Corinthians church, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. All things, not some things. That means you get rid of your drugs, your alcohol, your women, your lust, your perversion. And we still have sin. We're sinners. Don't get, us, get me wrong, but you're, you're going to be changed. You're going to be a different person. If I went up to my hometown, they had a, a reunion. I wouldn't tell you how long it would have to be. <laughs> but if I went up to my hometown and I stood with the people I graduated from high school with, they would say, who are you? Because I don't act anything like what I did when I was in high school. I might look the same except the gray beard and hair, but I'm different. I think I mentioned this one time in church. I went to one of them. I think it was the 10th or the 15th and, uh, you know, reunion of my cl high school class, which was only 53 people, by the way. And this guy I hung out with, his tall, skinny guy, his name was Boris. Boris came up to me and he said, Joe, I heard you're now a Jesus freak. I said, Boris, I heard you got out of jail last week. I said, I guess me finding God's working. He's still as lost as they come. You know what? When somebody calls you, the Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Here's it. You would say to me, I know the Father. I'm going to tell you what. Does the Father know you? Because the Father didn't know these people that called him Lord, Lord, did he? Are you really a Christian? You would be changed. You're not going to be that same person that you were before. The church today practices immorality like you wouldn't believe. And yet they want to worship the Lord. I'll tell you, worship is not a praise band and flashing lights going off and on. Worship is submitting yourself to God. And I say that many times in this church because I'm trying to drive it home to every single one of you the first time worship is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 
chapter 22 and verse 6, where Abraham tells his two servants, he said, me and the lad are going up to Mount Moriah to worship the Lord. They get up to that mountain, and Abraham is submitting his will to his father's will. He's ready to slay his son. And Isaac, who was, well, at least 15 to 22 years old by my calculations, he was certainly old enough to overpower his, his dad, who's 122 years old. Isaac let his dad bind him, put him on the altar, because he was submitting his will to his father's will, Abraham, as Abraham was submitting his, his will to his father, Yahweh. That is true worship. It's not flashing lights and bands and all that kind of stuff. That's true worship in its purest form. Sure, worshiping the Lord is important. And praising the Lord is important with guitars and stringed instruments. But the first, remember, take it in priority order. Have you submitted your will to God's will? The Bible teaches that true, genuine Christian has a new nature. They are walking on that narrow path. That narrow path is, is Jesus Christ, as he is the door, too. And you will become a new creature. I quoted the verse already. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. That means you, you're, you're dead. New things have come. New things. That means when you got... When you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you got hit with a Mack truck and you should be a changed individual. True Christianity is not doing the things that the world does. You're in danger of losing your rewards. But most of all, you're in danger of hellfire. Oh, I don't want to hear a message on hellfire today. Well, I'll tell you what, the Christian, the 21st Christian church needs to wake up and they need to come back to God and do the things they did at first. If you're genuinely a child of God, you will walk in the way of righteousness. You will. You walk in the way of righteousness. If you profess to have gone through the narrow gate and yet live like you're in the broad way, just like the other 21st century Christians do, so-called Christians, believers, who are carnal, you should be terribly afraid, and so should I. If you are genuinely converted, you will, have a, you will be a new creature. And the scriptures tell us to examine ourselves and test ourselves if we are a believer. You say you know God, but does God know you? You say you know God, but does God know you? I never knew you. Depart from me. I stole this from another preacher. But if you went to the White House today, I'm going to pretend we're back about a year. You went to the White House today, and you went up to the guard and said, I know President Trump. He'll say, sorry, can't come in. And because President Trump didn't know you. But if Trump knew your name, he'd let you in because you knew him. You, he knew you. He knew you. 
Past President Trump knew you, he'd let you in. But if you say, I know him, but yet he doesn't know you, you ain't getting in that gate. Sorry. Here's what you should do. Number one, repent and return. I said this the other day, maybe a couple times. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this. Sin and hell are married until repentance claims the divorce. Let me say that again. Sin and hell are married. They're like this. Until repentance proclaims or declares the divorce. A lot of those people that wave their hand up like this, they didn't repent. They just received Christ as their Savior, and they walked out the doors being the sons of hell they were before they came in because their heart was not changed. If the man can't acknowledge his sin, he does not know God. I know I had to repent. Oof. I still repent to this day. I think I live in a constant state of repentance because I'm unholy and God is holy. We're told to examine ourselves. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 13 and verse 5. Test yourselves. Paul's telling the Corinthian church, test yourselves. I'm telling the 21st century Christian, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Test yourself. In one verse, we have test yourself and, and examine yourself twice. It's emphatic again. Do it. It's important. Now is the acceptable time, church. Now, for those of you on air that uh, that don't know the Lord. Now's the acceptable time. Have you been genuine? How about the believer that calls himself a believer? Have you been genuinely born again? Have you? Because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you genuinely born again? Ask yourself. Be sure that you're a Christian. How you can be sure as you get up to this altar today, you don't have to pray with me. You can get on your knees and pray to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and give you the power to overcome those sins that are overtaking you right now. Because the 21st century church has really slipped back. They have really slipped back. I think I skipped a page here, and I want to cackle some of the things on it. Here's what, what my question is here. What has happened to the 21st century Christians today, or the church today. I've had two missionaries in the last couple years come up to me and say, they were in the mission field for several years, they come up to me and they say, Pastor Joe, what happened to the American church? Well, what has happened to the American church? The 21st century church, even in other countries, morality in the church is the same as the world. Immorality. Is the same as the world. Abortion in churches is nearly the same as the world. Do you know since Roe versus Wade, 62,500,000 babies were aborted? And that's what is recorded, not what has been done under handedly. 
How can that be if we're a changed church or a changed Christian? Unbiblical divorce is slightly less than the world. There are reasons to get divorced. Jesus mouth, you know, said them in Matthew 19. You have 1 Corinthians 7 you can go to. There are reasons for you can get divorced. But them talking about unbiblical divorce in churches is running rampant. You don't like your wife anymore. She doesn't. She gained weight, and she's not pretty. You don't like your husband anymore. So you just, I'll divorce him. I'm sorry that, you know, that doesn't go. That's a whole another subject to touch. Young people in youth groups are abu- abusing drugs and even selling drugs in their groups. You know, my kids are all grown up. I sent them to youth group. And when they grew up, they come back and they told me what was happening in those youth groups. I wished I'd never sent them. They were telling me about the guys, one guy selling drugs. And after he got older and he got arrested and was with the jail for two or three years. Then I started believing them. Selling and using drugs. The Christian church today, we, we watch things that we shouldn't watch. We listen to foul jokes and laugh at them. We watch TV or even the commercials are terrible. I suffer the same problem as you. Click, 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 click. I'm trying to find good shows on TV. I have to go back to 1950 shows like Ponderosa or, 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 you know, those kind of things. Little House on the Prairie. If you truly have been converted or born again, be sure to come up front. And when you do, you don't need me. You can repent to God by yourself. But I'm going to tell you what. God's telling you to repent. Church. It's written in, in 1 Peter 4.7. It's now time for judgment to start at the house of God. Judgment's going to start here because the world's looking. We're looking at the world wanting them to repent, and all the time the world's looking at us and say, you need to repent. you got gay preachers with their partner flaunting your sin when you're supposed to turn from your sin. God tells the mountains to be made low, and they say, yes, Lord. God tells the valleys to be filled, and he say, they say, yes, Lord. God tells the... Jordan River to part, and the river says, Yes, Lord. God tells the Red Sea to be parted and dry land appear, and the sea obeys. And God tells you to repent and come to Christ, and you say, No. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. This message isn't just for you, church. I say it all the time. I'm, I'm meant for a double take on it. Are you sure you're a Christian? Are you? If you're not sure, get up to this altar. And the sure found test, we'll see it next week. We'll know you by your fruits. You can have good fruit or bad fruit. Jesus said you can know. There's no longer are we gonna be we aren't gonna be judging these people, we're gonna be fruit inspecting. So you can tell if they're Christians or not. So listen, I would like really to come up front. If God spoke to you today 
you pull up your bootstraps, you lace your shoes, you get the strength of the Holy Spirit and get up to the altar and pray. So Father, we give you this message, we give this message to whoever listens, Lord. Your word says that that you send your word forth and it accomplishes exactly what you want it to accomplish. So Lord, let it accomplish today what you want it to accomplish in this church and in the people that listen to this message online or tackle it down the road somewhere. Lord, we give it all over to you. Come on up, church, if you need to be on your knees. And for those of you at home, you know what? If you're on your iPad or on your cell phone, bow your knees and with all of your heart, ask God to forgive you and repent of your sin and, and, uh, and ask Jesus to come into you and make you the man, the woman that he wants you to be. So no longer will you just say you know God. God will know you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. The altar is open. The altar is open. We love you all. Always will.